You're listening to the Brick City Blockade Podcast. Heard amazing things about this, everybody I spoke to. Oh, good to see you too. It's fantastic to be here. Let's do it. You guys are great. Happy to be here. Join your hosts, Robin Vogt and Brian Fontaine, as they journey through a galaxy far, far away. I'm one with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force and the force is with me. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network. Of course, sitting across from me, on the podcast is Mr. Brian Fontaine. Brian, how's it going this evening, my friend? Robin, I am super excited for today's podcast. Let's get this kicked off. Yeah, and of course, sitting across from us on the West Coast is Mr. AP5 himself. We've been wanting to have him on. The time is here. Mr. Steven Stanton, how's everything going this evening? Hey, Robin, Brian, and all you Brick City blockaders out there. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's wonderful to be on the uh the, well, let's let's face it. The only podcast that has an official AP5 T-shirt. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a fantastic little addition to our network. You know, obviously, Mr. Stanton rocks the T-shirt himself, and it's really one of the main aspects, Brian, of this podcast network. And it kind of jump started. I mean, let let me just reflect on this, Brian. For us with AP5, it was that Rebels recap episode that really got it jump started. Yeah, it was, and I think you shared it out earlier this week kind of a stroll down memory lane maybe throwback thursday yeah and i was listening back to some of it and uh that was such a fun episode uh you know steve and i we're gonna have a lot of great questions for you here but like that we had such fun talking about that episode but just looking back at that it was just it was fun i mean it was it was a blast it was a blast for fans and that's all I can really say. Yeah, I mean, and Steven, you know, here at the network, AP5 has become like our favorite Star Wars Rebels character, of course, and a mascot of sorts for the podcast network. When you were told that you had to sing for the episode Double Agent Droid, how much prep needed to go into that? I know you probably have a beautiful singing voice naturally, but how did you burst those vocals out, my friend? Ah, thank you for those uh, <laughs> compliments, warranted or unwarranted. I'm not sure, but <laughs> they're warranted. <laughs> The, you know, the uh, when I, I've done a lot of work for Disney over the years, and uh, usually we have, um, there's a lot of prep that goes into musicals. Uh, you know, we have scratch tracks and, you know, music and all these kinds of things. But this script from Star Wars Rebels just came to me, you know, uh, ahead of time, uh, mm-hmm. like before the recording session. And I, when I was reading through it, there was a part that said, you know, AP5, you know, breaks into song. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder how we're going to handle this. You know, I wasn't really sure. So I got to the session, and uh, I found out that uh, we were pretty much going to do it uh, by the seat of my pants, so to speak. Oh, geez, wow. There was uh, there was no music scored in advance. Kevin Kiner had not laid down any tracks yet, and um, so Dave said, uh, you know, I asked him how do we how are we going to do this, and uh, he said, well, you know, just try it a few different ways, come up with a tune, you know, mm. that suits the. Uh, the lyrics and the lyrics actually I'll give you guys a little bit of a behind the scenes thing. There's actually more lyrics to that song than appeared in the film in the episode. Wow. Oh man. <laughs> it was a, it was a slightly lengthier, uh, song, but anyway, uh, I tried it a few different ways. I, I, I belted it out. Ethel Merman, Broadway style. <laughs> I, nice. I did some more sedate versions, you know, I'm not mm. sure which take, uh, was the one that they ended up using, but, um, and then, you know, they put that to music, I, which is amazing to me that uh, Kevin Kiner was able to take what I did and uh, and score around it. I mean, the man is uh, he's brilliant. But I, I was really happy with the end result. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, the, the folks in the uh, in the studio, 
you know, all my castmates, they were kind of like done for the day. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, everybody can go. And everyone was, no, we want to hear AP5 sing. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm sure it was, they were just as curious as I was to see how this was going to play out. But mm. uh, in the end, I think uh, it has become one of the most memorable sequences out of Star Wars Rebels. I'm sure George Lucas probably has a, you know, like, you know, I really like that episode where the droid was singing in space. I just have a feeling George, George with his interesting sense of humor. And, of course, hey, look, he was the one that really liked all the Mieber Gascon episodes. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say he probably uh, he probably enjoyed hearing AP5 sing. Well, Stephen, earlier in that episode, too, when we had it was almost you, you brought Bing Crosby a little bit into it because – Chopper and AP5 going back and forth. It was kind of very much like that. Anything you can do, I can do better. And it was like, no, you can't. Yes, I can. No. <laughs> so we almost prepared fans for later in the episode when we eventually did get into song. And I think that just made it even the more better. Yeah, the fact that they were like paying paying uh, homage or doing an homage. I don't know what which one you prefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yours, to Annie, get your gun. It was like that was so funny because I'll tell you what really sold that bit for me was Chopper and AP5 are back and forth. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. And then he come back from the commercial break and it's like, you know, no, you can't. <laughs> it's like they've been arguing all through the commercial break. It was wonderful, oh, wonderful bit of comedic timing on Dave and the writer's part on this uh, particular and that was what that's double agent droid, right? So that's Brent Friedman, uh, who has done Moralo Evol. He did the Moralo Evol episodes in the Clone Wars and the Mieber Gascon episodes. Brent has a knack for coming up with these quirky, one of a kind uh, episodes for Star Wars. He did the other one for Rebels. Um, oh, what was it uh, called? It was the one where the, uh, the battle droid wanted to have the one last battle to, to end the Clone Wars. Do you remember that from Rebels? Oh, yes. Yeah, that was a great uh, episode. I'm, the, yeah. the title's escaping me, but he also brought the refresher into yes. Star Wars lexicon. Oh, oh, my God, yes. And and I'll have you know that when we recorded that, there was no indication on the script that when Wedge goes into the refresher that we were going to hear a zipper sound <laughs> uh, when AP5 walked in. That was done... That was an after the fact, and I have a feeling they did that just to kind of like needle Kyle Newman because, as you know, Kyle says there are no zippers in Star oh, Wars. That's right. <laughs> so, Stephen, the Starlight Starlight Foundation has provided wonderful opportunities to children who need a comfortable space in hospitals, and to simply forget about kind of the intense nature of hospital stays. Your work with Starlight has not gone unnoticed. It's one of the reasons why. My son was in the hospital earlier this year for an extended stay. And when I was able to see the entertainment center they had there with the logo, I immediately instantly knew it because of the, a lot of the work that you do with that organization, that great organization. How did that relationship start and how can others get involved if they wanted to? You know, that goes back quite a ways. You know, back in 2010, we were doing, uh, in 2011, we were doing charity signings uh, at different conventions, mm-hmm. raising money for individuals and uh, different causes. We worked with, uh, you know, different Ronald McDonald houses, uh, you know, around the country, things like that. And we and we realized it was just, it, it was it was very difficult, especially when you're dealing with uh, places around the world, like in Australia, the Heart Fund, places like that, mm-hmm. things we found out about 
you know, getting the money to them and getting it distributed. We were really looking for something very centralized here for us in the United States that could that could take that extra step for us and say, like, here's the funds now. We know that you guys are really, you know, good at what you do. Send them to the right place. And and uh, we we came upon uh, Starlight Children's Foundation. We didn't really know that much about them in the beginning. Like I said, we found out about them from uh, some friends in Australia and uh, because they're very big in Australia, they're very big in the UK and they're here in the United States. So we decided back in 2015 at Celebration uh, that we were going to do a a big fundraiser just with Starlight. So we reached out to uh, Jimmy Mack and Jason at Rebel Force Radio and they got uh, behind it and uh, helped us uh, spread the word. And we did a, uh, a fundraiser at Celebration. This is really interesting. We tried to do it on the floor of the con, and we couldn't do it. Cons have a very difficult time figuring out what to do with us because we're a little bit different from from a lot of the other folks out there. You know, we're not just, you know, we're, we're doing something that gets donated to charity, and they sometimes have a hard time finding a, a way to fit us in with everybody else, which is not a problem. So what we did was we partnered with the 501st Legion and their bash, which is being held at a hotel off-site, right next to the convention, literally a, you know, a stone's throw away. But we kept it open to everybody. We said, we're not going to be inside the bash. We're going to be outside the bash, uh, you know, in the hotel, right in front of the entrance uh, to the bash. And uh, we're going to set up there. <laughs> and we thought, okay, well, this will give chance people a chance, whether you're at the con, at Celebration, or not. You know, you'll have a chance to um, get a signed picture. And we had, you know, Alan Ladd Jr., uh, the former head of 20th Century Fox, the man who gave George Lucas the green light for Star Wars. He had signed some of the very first posters, Star Wars posters for us. Wow. And uh, wow. we had those there, uh, to, you know, for people to, to purchase as well. And this is a one-of-a-kind thing. I mean, Alan Ladd has never signed anything. And he's a beautiful guy, sweet man. I got a chance to meet him. But So we had all these things set up in the uh, outside the 501st Bash. I remember us coming there. After dinner, we saw this huge line, and we were talking to the bash people, and we said, like, wow, looks like you got a line here for people waiting to get in. And they're like, no, they're waiting for you and that whole the whole Starlight uh, signing to get wow. get going. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. We had so many people. We spent, like, four hours solid. I was supposed to uh, go inside. My friend Rick Fitz, who was on Star Trek mm-hmm. Next Generation, uh, he's, he and his band were performing as the entertainment. I missed the entire event because we were there from till closing, uh, till like 1130, almost midnight, I think it was, signing photos. And I'll tell you this, we raised, with our matching funds, we raised $8,000 for wow. Starlight Foundation that night. Wow. That tells you the generosity of Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, because we weren't putting a... a Apart from Alan Ladd's posters, we didn't have a price tag on anything. We just said, um, "Yeah, Miss Kathy over here, she was telling people we had a Death Star cookie jar, you know, to hold all the uh, the funds." Right. And we said, "Whatever your heart tells you to put in, put in there." So, with our match, like I said, with our matching funds, it was eight thousand dollars that we uh, we raised. And you know, since then, we just finished another fundraiser uh, with Official Picks. Now, Official Picks, we go back to them mm-hmm. all the way. 2011 with our very first charity signing we were uh, signing to raise money for a little girl 
who had a, a very rare disease. And so Ben Stevens, Phil Wise, Chris Wyman, all at Official Picks, they were involved there. And we got involved with them recently to raise money once again for Starlight for exactly what you were talking about, Robin, another fund center. And once again, with matching funds, we raised over $5,000. Uh, to put a fun center into a local hospital here in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles area. And like I said, once again, thank you so much to all the Star Wars fans out there. There's just their generosity and their hearts are just they're big. They're boundless. They uh, they're always there ready to lend a hand. And that really I mean, just to kind of wrap up that that thought, Stephen, because that's kind of like what we say here at the podcast network, the term unity is community with the fandom. We all come together and we all support something much larger. It's not necessarily about us coming together because of our love for Star Wars, but it kind of motivates that extra level of I'm doing something else to help the person next to me. I'm doing something to help a young child who needs that extra guidance or just needs to take their mind off of either the pain or just something else that they just need the time to reflect upon. And I think that that's exactly what that kind of emanates in very many ways, Stephen. No, I, I agree with you. And one of the great things about Starlight is it's not, it's not any one particular condition, malady, disease, injury, or whatever. It's for all the kids that are in the hospital for whatever they're in the hospital for. Mm -hmm. And if people want to donate, you know, you can go to starlight.org online and uh, they'll, uh, you can donate to to help raise money, uh, you know, to send your money to. Or they can set up their own account. That's true. Uh, what is that called? Is it a, what is that called when they do that? They have a thing, uh, you know. They have a lot of things. You can do a grassroots campaign on your own with Starlight uh, yeah, like to raise. City, yeah, that's right. Yeah, like for let's say Brick City wanted to do a. Uh, create their own account and mm -hmm. have a button to raise money for Starlight for either the Brave gowns, which you know are those wonderful hospital gowns that are uh, made out of that very yeah. comfortable material. They have the snaps on the sides, and they're right now they have the Star Wars ones, so you can be like Chewie, Princess Leia, Vader, R2. And you can raise money on your own uh, locally, grassroots for your local hospitals uh, for the needs that they have with Starlight. That is one great thing about Starlight is that you can you can do it wherever you are in the country or actually around the world because in the UK, they've extended it. They even have a Grant-A-Wish program, which we participated in. We brought a young man over for uh, San Diego Comic-Con for his uh, Grant-A-Wish. Uh, you know, he wanted to, to see Comic-Con. And we, we actually afterwards... He and his, his friend, uh, they came up to uh, Los Angeles to see Los Angeles, and we managed to, we arranged to give them the complete around-the-city tour of Los Angeles. Uh, you name it, from Santa Monica and the beach all the way to Hollywood. Uh, they, they came to my agency. My agents put them in the booth. They got to be voice actors for a day, and they rounded it out at the end of the, their stay here. Once again, my good friend Rick, Rick Fitz from Star Trek brought them to a recording session that I was involved in with a bunch of other voiceover actors. And they got to sit in and see like almost a dozen voiceover actors in an ensemble record an animated show. So, uh, you know, like I said, the stuff is out there. Starlight, it's, it's a wonderful organization. I advise and not advise, but just suggest any of your uh, listeners Check them out and, and contact them directly. If you have ideas, they're very open to ideas for grassroots campaigns. Beautifully, beautifully said, Stephen. One of the other things, too, just kind of keeping it with the kids, as we always like to do, one of the other things involving 
really like the focus on the kids and the community and making sure that they have a positive format for growth. You know, literature is such a crucial piece to education, development and imagination of young children and or young adults, even some of the kids that I work with as an educator and your voiceover reading of Treasure Island. I'm telling you, I keep on going back to it as an educator and I'm like, this is really some great great stuff for the younger audience and even for the older audience. And it's a stepping stone towards like more opportunities for young readers to dive into classic stories. And you know, what stories would you like your voice to be a part of going forward for young adults? And are there any that you're currently working on right now that you can kind of give us some insight into? Well, that's a pretty good question. Yeah. He was just talking about using it in the classroom. We get every single day. I have comments from teachers and students alike talking about how in AP English and other classes, this particular uh, audio recording that I did at Treasure Island is so helpful. And mm-hmm. teachers have come up to me and said, you know, what, exa- asking me the exact same question that you did, which is what else are you working on? And some of the suggestions that I've had is uh, uh, Victor Hugo, A Hunchback of Notre Dame, Les Miserables, uh, mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera. We have to kind of keep it in the public domain uh, right. That makes it easier as far as getting the rights to do it or because you don't have to get the rights. You can just go ahead and record it. But there is uh, – you know, it, it, it's wonderful to bring young people into uh, – expose them to classical literature. In the instance of Treasure Island, especially in AP English classes, you know, they've since found out that listening to an audio book uh, doesn't – you know, they, they results. I think at one time there was a sort of a debate, reading versus listening, and what's the better comprehension. And now they've pretty much decided, no, it really doesn't make any difference. I mean, in fact, some people uh, uh, comprehend better by listening to it. Mm-hmm. In the case of Treasure Island, you know, it's it's very antiquated language. It's uh, it's written in the 1800s. There's a lot of seafaring uh, vernacular in there right. and a lot of kids look at it and they read it and they're like I don't even know I don't know I don't understand it but when you hear it acted out in a um, in a uh, in a radio play like we've done mm-hmm. uh, it makes the comprehension that much easier and I you know I I tell all the kids that always you know comment me like some some say I'm the only one in my class that listened and I, I'm the one that <laughs> good grade on the test or you know and we're actually thinking about taking this and uh redoing it and uh, putting in sound effects and music and so forth That's and uh, but i robin i would actually be interested uh you guys uh what book would you recommend for AP english and what would you like to hear especially keeping in mind that keeping it in the public domain is the is the easiest way to go forward on this well mr fontaine what are you thinking uh, to put me on the spot, Robin, I'm going to throw that one over to you as the educator <laughs> of the two of us. <laughs> oh, you guys know I talk education all the time, but y- you know what? You brought up a great one, Stephen, I- and I think it has to be The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I recently just saw it play out here at the Portsmouth Theater, and the amount of kids that were in the crowd was quite stunning, and they even did a showing for young adults, you know, kids in middle school, some students that are at the high school level taking AP courses, and just to see their faces light up, and it's it's the voice, it's the acting, it's, you know, physically seeing that play out, but you know what, it's, it's the timbre of the voices that are saying the words, and just the way that they interpret it. I, I love Hunchback of Notre Dame in that case. That is, yeah, that is a good one. No, and what you're saying is is very true. 
We just did. We did. Like I said, we had it recommended. And, you know, it's one of the things that I talk to uh, when young voice actors or people wanting to break into voiceover talk to me. Mm -hmm. They actually they ask, you know, what is it? You know, what does it take to become a voice actor? And and one of the things that you brought up is key to it. it. You're not just reading words on the page. You have to act. You have to give them life. You have to, you know, like I said, breathe life into them and make them real conversations and real characters and real people. Otherwise, you know, it, there's a lot of audiobooks out there that are just someone sitting down and reading them. And, you know, that's that's fine if that's if that's what you're looking for. But for a lot of people, you know, where, like I said, you know, especially in class where they're trying to comprehend like an antiquated uh, way of speaking, something along those lines, it's very helpful to hear like an actual person or a character saying the lines and then all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and they hear it and i think that's probably true with uh, you know victor hugo's work you know it's it's been a long time uh, since people spoke in that way or wrote in that way and sometimes when kids in the 21st century are presented with something along those lines they don't know what to make of it you know they just haven't been exposed to it so i'm very i'm very pleased to uh to hear that so many people are uh, finding this uh, audiobook radio play of Treasure Island beneficial. It, to us, you know, it was really unexpected. Mm. We put it out there and, you know, th- thought, well, you know, people will enjoy it. But the number of students uh, that have said, you know, they've gotten a passing grade or more than passing grade on a test because they listened to the uh, to, to that uh, audio recording that I did, it's, it's very gratifying. Yeah, that's 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 really really fantastic, Brian. Did you come up with a book you think yet? No, I'm gonna go <laughs> on to our next question for Stephen. <laughs> Stephen, a lot of our listeners and a lot of us at the network are big collectors, Star Wars collectors, Marvel Studios collectors. Is there anything in your own collection that has any kind of special meaning to you? Boy, you know, if you wanted to talk about collecting, it's interesting. I have a very eclectic collection of things because I like a lot of things. You know, because I, you know, like some people specifically focus on Star Wars or, you know, let's say Star Trek or The Walking Dead or whatever. And I have a, you know, I just I grew up with a lot of things, you know, whether it was Lost in Space or or Space 1999, um, you know, Zorro on Disney, Disney Zorro. So I have a lot of little little things that don't really amount to like a collection of, you know, like one particular thing. But as far as Star Wars goes. There's one item that really stands out, and that's a a die-cast TIE fighter that was given to me on the very first session that I recorded for Star Wars The Clone Wars. Oh, wow. Yeah, Dave Filoni, when I was done, it was, it was um, I was doing Masa Meda, and when I was finished, Dave Filoni said, I'm sorry we don't have any Masa Meda figures, but here's a TIE fighter. Welcome to Star Wars. <laughs> That would instantly go to the top of my collection as well, too, especially coming from such a, you know, oh, at the time. I mean, I think Dave Filoni isn't probably wasn't as well known to a lot of Star Wars fans at the time. But I mean, that would have just made my heart. I just would have just been over the moon just to have that opportunity. That's great. Yeah, I keep it on my shelf. It's there in a, in a place of honor. I've never opened the package. 
Uh, oh, you no, know. you can't do that. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I don't really want to, you know, I don't want to ask Dave to sign it because that's not part of its history. Uh, you know, its its history was it was just he reached into like this leather bag or backpack that he had and he pulled this toy out and he gave it to me. And I thought, what a wonderful thing. I mean, what a, just I mean, how often does that happen? Almost never. I think on another on one other commercial, they gave me a yo-yo at the end of the <laughs> <laughs> with the brand name of the company. on it. <laughs> But I mean, it was it, it was it meant a lot to me. And, you know, that was a part of a, a wonderful, long relationship with Dave and Star Wars on on television. You know, I I'd had a, you know, relationship with Lucasfilm dating back to like 2004 you know, doing old Ben Kenobi for them on the video games and things like that. And But there was no TV. There was no, you know, Revenge of the Sith was the last thing that they did. And that was kind of going to be it. So when the TV show came out and I managed to, you know, was fortunate enough to be a part of it. Uh, yeah, it was great to have this little souvenir because I had no idea how often Masa Meda would come back or if he would ever come back or if I would ever do another character for them. So it was a kind of a great memento. Yeah, that's that's a really really cool thing just to kind of have, and the idea that Dave Filoni has a magic bag that he pulls memorabilia from <laughs> is a pretty pretty cool concept there, Stephen. I did not even know that. Uh, maybe we're talking about a Dave Filoni Christmas special at some point with that. But you know, you mentioned one specific character there, Stephen, which I think is kind of the one that Brian and I talk about all the time, and it's your role of Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars Rebels, and, and how did the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi's voiceover for Star Wars Rebels come about, and was that role something that had been discussed beforehand between you and Filoni, because I know you have the video game history associated with it. No, it wasn't for this particular instance, mm -hmm. you know. We were actually recording, I believe, if my memory serves me correct, we were recording a, a Rebels episode, it might have been Double Agent Droid, and during the course of it, we were talking about things and uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, the Disney Infinity uh, game. And I had told Dave Filoni, I said, hey, did you know that Mieber Gascon is in mm -hmm. Disney Infinity? And Dave's like, no, no. Did you do the voice for him? And I thought and I said, no, I, I didn't. But I said, I don't think they knew that I did the voice for him. Hmm. I said, I was already there doing uh, old Ben Kenobi for them. And Dave said. Oh, that's right. He goes, you do do Ben Kenobi. Can I hear a little bit of that? I said, I said absolutely, sure. No problem. And then I, my mind went completely blank, and I could not think of a damn thing that Ben Kenobi said in any film. You know? And uh, I think Vanessa Marshall said, do the scum and, villainy not, scum and villainy line. I said, oh, yeah, that's great. How does it go? <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's kind of like you know kind of giggling and and i and i did that in a couple of lines for uh, dave and henry gilroy was in the you know they're behind the glass in the recording booth and they're like oh okay yeah you know great and then you know they turn the microphone off and then you see them leaning back and discussing things with each other <laughs> and you have no idea what they're saying so after the uh the session was over dave pulled me aside and said look you know we have an idea for an episode we don't know if it's going to happen yet or not, but we want to try uh, a couple of things. And we're thinking about using the Alec Guinness Ben Kenobi. He says, now this would just be a scratch track. There's no guarantee that you would end up being the voice on the episode. Mm -hmm. He goes, are, are you, you know, let me know what you think. And I said, okay, you know, I'll, uh, I'll think about it. And I, I went back home and I 
talked to my managers, Dutch and Kathy, and I said, here's what's going on. And everyone kind of agreed, well, that sounds like a cool thing. You know, let's see what happens. So, you know, a couple of weeks go by and uh, uh, Dave calls me up and says, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're going to go through with this thing. Uh, we're released. We got the green light to, to try it out. Are you in? I said, yeah, I'm in. And I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity for me because I don't know if you guys realize this. Sam Whitmer and I had never had an episode together over all these years. That's crazy. Oh, wow. And our characters never crossed paths. So I thought I really want to have a chance, whether it gets used or not, to uh, to play against Sam Whitworth's Maul. I just thought that would just be, be cool. so much fun. Sam is an incredible actor. That guy, you know, you got to be you got to be ready because he is ready times ten when he gets on the set. Mm. So we, uh, you know, that there's you know there's a number of characters in that episode, Twin Sons. So everybody finished their stuff, and they released every, the rest of the cast. And uh, Taylor, Taylor Gray stayed behind, and uh, Sam and I uh, recorded uh, our stuff with him as, uh, you know, the three of us together as a trio. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, we tried out a lot of different things. We ad-libbed. We had Dave Filoni, uh, you know, he gave us this line, that line, or whatever. It was, it was a wonderful thing. And then, you know, that was it. You know, I, I thought, well, that's it. That's done. Uh, some time goes by and I get a call from Lucasfilm from Dave again. And they're like, you know what? We've decided to keep your Alec Guinness, Ben Kenobi in the episode. We just want to make a few adjustments to a certain lines. They were rewriting some things. They wanted to make sure it was true to Jedi tradition and the kinds of things that Jedi would say. Mm -hmm. I always tell people, if you think these animated cartoons are just being kind of like shot out with no thought behind them, you're very much wrong. Uh, if you think about that, everything down to every single word. I came back in twice to record lines for Ben Kenobi, some that they didn't use, some where we changed just one word that Dave was said, like, I don't think a Jedi would say this. And, um, you know, and, the, and then you guys saw the end result. That was a, yeah. there was a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears put into that that episode. I'm very happy to uh, to say that I was uh got to be a part of it especially since i had done the alec guinness kenobi for so many years for lucasfilm and in the games it was an honor to be able to say okay we're going to put him in canon in one of the episodes of rebels uh, i was just i was i was so stoked you guys don't even you don't even know <laughs> i it's it's honestly steven it's one of my favorite episodes it's easily in the top five if not top three top two and uh, for fans, it definitely comes through. So just know that as much as you were stoked and excited for doing it, we appreciated it so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Like I said, everybody puts 110%, probably 150% into these episodes. If, if you knew the stuff that we recorded that we ended up not using just because we were trying things out and playing around and, and just you know working those scenes together – I mean, you guys would be amazed. I mean, it's Dave Filoni and all the actors involved, whether it's Taylor, myself, Sam, everybody takes it very seriously. So we're very happy that, you know, the fans ended up liking it. I was, you know, when I actually saw the animation of the duel between Kenobi and Maul, I mean, you know, it's one thing to see it written on the page. It's totally something else to see it animated and actually right. see how it plays out i was blown away and once again you got to give kevin kinder props for that music oh, that so good. Mm -hmm. it is so tense yeah it, it's it really adds a level of gravitas to 
not only the voice acting piece and what everything that goes behind it, but just Kevin Kiner was able to just take every a little aspect of that episode and even that scene and just bring it all into one. And it just made for such a great experience. Brian and I reflect on it all the time here at the podcast network. And I imagine that that preparation, that's pretty much it right there. You just psych yourself up, Stephen, right? And you just jump in there and you just go for it. Well, there's a lot of prep that went into it. You know, when I'm doing voice match, in particular for very iconic characters, for mm-hmm. actors people are, are well-known, like Alec Guinness or Peter Cushing, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to get into that actor's head, mm-hmm. like what they would do if they were around to do this. You know, so I'll, I'll, I watch all of Alec Guinness's uh, performances in, um, in the original Star Wars trilogy because, as you know, in each episode, he does something very different. The character grows. It, uh, it reveals more to Luke Skywalker. He's more well-rounded. So I go back and I look at those things and say, like, okay, so if Alec Guinness were here today, and, he was, and if he were, he would be offered this role. Uh, but he's not. So I'm here to step into his shoes. What can I surmise from the way he portrayed this character that I might be able to bring, you know, to the role today because we were dealing with a, a, an era of Ben Kenobi that the fans hadn't seen yet. And that Alec Guinness himself hadn't, hadn't portrayed. That was, you know, you know, dealing with a very, very young Luke Skywalker where he's just, you know, he's not even a teenager yet. So there's a lot of practice in, you know, in addition to figuring out the voice also getting, like I said, into the mindset of the actor as much as you can to try to figure out, what, what would they? What would they do? How would they deliver these lines? It's it's a very. Let me tell you these guys. It's it's talk about a weight on your shoulders and stress. There's a lot because fans are expecting it to be spot on. Right. Yeah, they are. They 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 expect when they see Ben Kenobi coming on, it's like they're expecting a a, a certain way with Ben Kenobi. But you know what, Stephen, you knocked it out of the park, buddy. It was one of those roles that again, Brian and I always reflect on it when we see it. And I think the friendom itself, the fandom that Star Wars envelops itself in, it really reflects on that episode and everything that you bring to the characters that you do. And you know, one of the last things here, Stephen, I have I have to say this. All right. And actually, Brian, I'm going to have you ask this question because uh, my stomach's been growling all night and uh, I know I'm going to need a little bit of a post-interview meal after this one. I think we'll all be deserving something nice to eat after all this. So, Stephen, our final question. When it comes to the ideal meal after you've done a recording, what is that meal and where can it be found? Uh, well, there's there's a few answers to that particular question. Um, one of the great places that... Uh, Myself, uh, Dutch and Kathy, and we, we bring a lot of friends uh, and clients to is uh, is a place here in West Los Angeles, a Sicilian restaurant called Palmieri. And uh, mm. the chef, Ottavio, he is just he's become a great friend of ours. We've actually film, uh, we've actually filmed uh, we've actually we filmed. Uh, we did our Star Wars authentic signing at Palmieri's in their uh, what do you call that room that uh, they're in? It's like a, not a conference room because there's no conference. It's like a banquet room. Banquet room and uh, Steel Wars, uh, uh, Steel Saunders. We did his podcast in there, and uh, they're like family. It's like Cheers. Everybody knows us by name there, and we we <laughs> love it's oh the Sicilian food there. First off, 
My favorite thing there is the lasagna. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the waiters won't let me order it anymore because they said, you need to try other things on the menu. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of the other things they have is a, is a Sicilian sort of street food called arancini. Uh, we, every time we bring someone to the restaurant, we have them uh, try this out. It looks like a giant sort of uh, like bread-encrusted Hershey's Kiss. And uh, it's filled with all kinds of things. There's meat and rice and vegetables inside, and they make them by hand at Palmieri's. And I haven't, we haven't run into anybody that has tried them that didn't absolutely love them. They're 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 extremely delicious. I've made a meal out of them uh, more on more than one occasion when they won't let me have a lasagna. So uh, that is one of my favorite places. Otherwise, I would say that Miss Kathy's. Uh, uh, fettuccine Alfredo with the smoky bacon. Ooh. Oh my gosh, that that's one to die for. Or yeah, I could say there's sometimes where I come home in the middle of the day and Dutch makes one of his famous sandwiches. The best is his version of the egg McMuffin, which is like a breakfast uh, sandwich. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, to die for, to die for. Robin, you uh, you still hungry over there, buddy? Uh, you know, th- I I can understand where the lasagna thing comes from. I'm one of those guys, Stephen, who also goes into Italian restaurant, and I I'm always going for the chicken parm. And some places are like, oh, here comes Robin. Don't don't even put the chicken even close to the grill. Don't even touch it. So I, I can uh, I can see where you're coming from with lasagna, because there's uh, I'm like Garfield when it comes to lasagna and other things. You gotta you gotta be real careful. <laughs> That's the same. <laughs> If you give us your uh, your guys' addresses, we'll uh, we'll send you an order of Domino's to your uh, addresses, and uh, that way, and uh, so that guys, you're you're not going hungry after this podcast. (laughs) Oh, look at that! That's that's epic. Oh man, that is Uh, so so cool. And you know what? That's that's also a really cool way knowing that Domino's is on the way to also wrap up this podcast episode here. And Stephen, it's a little thing we like to call here on the podcast network plug time. So what it is basically is we are going to share out everything where everybody can find us across social media. Mr. Steven Stanton, where can everybody find everything that you're doing across social media? Okay, well, here we go. Let's let's start with Twitter because that is the place that I'm most active. It's uh, at Steven underscore Stanton. That is my uh, my Twitter handle. And uh, you can find me at, uh, you know, Steven Stanton YouTube page and um, – same thing on on Facebook. It's pretty much easy to find Stephen Stanton or Stephen Stanton Official on Facebook. Where else do you want to talk about? Uh, oh, StephenStanton.com, the website. Oh, that's, that's if you want to go real old school, back when pre, before social media, when uh, you thought if you want to get in contact with people, you had to have a website. So StephenStanton.com. <laughs> I think I've covered all the bases there. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Mr. Brian Fontaine, where can the good people find you across social media? Jedi Scavenger SW on Twitter and Instagram. How about you, Robin? Oh, boy. I better take a deep breath. You guys can follow me over on Twitter at MrVoteTweets. Make sure to check out the Brick City Blockade over there at Brick City SWPC. Head on over to Instagram. Follow us there at Brick City Blockade. Also, please make sure to head on over to www.brickcityblockade.com for everything happening at the podcast network and everything happening in that galaxy far, far away. Head on over to iTunes. You guys know the spiel with me. Make sure to rate, subscribe, comment. That's what brings the unity to the community, brings on epic guests, brings on the conversations that make the friend possible here with Star Wars. And also make sure to head on over to Public, pick up one of those AP5 t-shirts because we rock them here. You should be rocking it. You got to get into the musical. You got to get into the music. And 
Also, the best thing to do is to rock that t-shirt and watch the episode Double Agent Droid. Mr. Steven Stanton, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, my friend. What a fantastic time. Thank you guys so much. And uh, what can I say other than may the force be with you always. Always. This is AP5. If only I had more time out here in space to listen to the Brick City Blockade podcast. Oh, I'd be so happy. But until then, may the force be with you.